Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as a family, we've been re-watching Downton Abbey, and um, one of the phrases that I've really enjoyed as we started looking towards Colossians was when one man says to another man who's getting slightly too emotional for British people, hold it together, old boy, hold it together. You know, when we think of the phrase, hold it together, we think of quick, cheap and nasty, like fix-it jobs, much like what you're going to see here. Imagine looking outside of an airplane and seeing someone hold this together or uh, this pole that's almost knocked down trying to be held together by duct tape. I'm pretty sure the manufacturers of duct tape did not design it to be used in any of these ways. This is not what we're talking about when we talk about being held together. We're not talking about hanging on for grim death. Our kind of tag scripture for this series is Colossians 1 verse 17 that says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And when you look at the, the graphic, this is more a representation of what we mean by being held together. Uh, there is a creative, purposeful, sustaining, internal and eternal integrity in the midst of all this trouble, chaos and suffering. Um, and so good job with the graphic, Grace. When we speak of being held together in Him, we mean that not only is God the source, but that he is active in and through us to restore the world to his original design. We look at phrases like in him, by him, through him and for him. This is a biblical theme throughout the New Testament, but none more specifically and profoundly illuminated than in the book of Colossians. So let's give a bit of a historical background to the book of Colossians. Paul and his team at that stage were out um, preaching the gospel, and as a result, churches were um, being planted all over the then known world. Paul sent a man called Epaphras with his team into a place called the Lysus Valley to go and preach the gospel, and three churches came out of that. Uh, there was a church in Colossae, there was a church in Hierapolis, and a church in Laodicea. Um, and what happened was that news from Epaphras came back to Paul. Either Epaphras visited Paul when he was in prison, or Paul received a letter from Epaphras um, that there was this disturbing new theology that was beginning to be accepted by the Colossian church. Even though Paul did not plant the Colossian church, and he didn't intimately know the members of the Colossian church, he writes to them as an apostle, as someone that, that feels a responsibility for this new group of believers. What we also mustn't overlook is that Epaphras was a close friend and a, and a partner and must have asked Paul for help. And, uh, and it's great to these days even be part of a greater collection network of churches like we are in advance, where if we hit things that are difficult for us to manage, we can call for help and others are able to help us. Or we can offer help to others. And so that's how the Colossian letter was written. What is the focus of the Colossian letter? Well, Paul was writing to combat what theologians um, call the Colossian heresy. Um, and uh, what was beginning to happen is the church was being tempted to absorb this amalgam of religious philosophy that was popular in that region. 
Now, what was this philosophy that was so dangerous? Well, it's hard to pinpoint, but there's three main kind of tenets to what was being believed and um, what people were trying to teach in the Colossian church. Um, so it combined Jewish religious ritual. So things like circumcision, whether you were circumcised or not, the kinds of foods you ate, um, whether you celebrated the Sabbath, new moons, festivals, those kinds of things. And we'll cover this later on as we uh, continue to study the book. Uh, there was also this idea of mystical experience as, as if coming directly from God with, without being um, filtered through the apostles of the teaching or through the leaders. And the emphasis was on personal experience, individual interpretation, hearing from angels, etc., those kinds of things. And lastly, the other kind of ingredient in this mixture was ascetism. And, and that is the physical humiliation of your body in order to receive some kind of spiritual blessing. Also, the idea that bodies are bad and, and spirit is good. The, the thing about all of these is that they are outward indicators of a system of religious beliefs or ideologies. But what Paul does is he reminds the Colossians that their faith is rooted in the eternal gift of God's grace. And it is legitimized by the way in which they behave, not the other way around. It's also likely that this heresy had not taken root yet uh, because Paul writes in a way that is a little more sensitive than the way he wrote to the Galatians. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul is very strong and very bold. Um, he tells people that, he, that those guys that um, are saying you should be circumcised should go the whole way and castrate themselves. He says, you foolish Galatians. There's a real sense of, of kind of belligerence with Paul because this had already taken root in the church in Galatia, but it had not taken root yet in Colossae. So this is kind of more of a guiding, um, be careful warning letter that Paul is writing to them. The Colossian heresy, again, is not the focus of his letter. Um, he, he writes not to tell people exactly what that heresy is, which is why we don't know exactly what it is. But what he does is he elevates the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he shows them that the person and work of Jesus Christ is incongruent with this cultural wave and that, that is trying to sweep over the church during that time and space. His goal is to show the Colossian church how all things are birthed and held together in Jesus Christ. So let's look, chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 14 out of the ESV. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it is also among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, 
being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. People seek for affirmation more than they seek for truth. The, the challenge with that is people think that they're seeking for truth when what they actually want is affirmation. Now, Paul is the master of affirmation and truth. Uh, in every one of Paul's letters, regardless of how crazy that church is behaving, what Paul does first is he affirms them, not in terms of their behavior, but in terms of their status in Christ. And what is Paul grateful for here? He's grateful for their faith in Jesus and we see that in verse 3, and for their love for God's church. We see that in verse 4. The interesting thing about Paul is that he doesn't define them as Christians, which you would think he would. In fact, he never uses that term in his letters. Uh, Paul uses the term in Christ or a derivative of in Christ 164 times in his letter when he addresses Christians. What he is saying to the Colossians is that you are a holy, that's where saints come from, set apart, family in a specific location. Now, what is the difference between a compliment, flattery, and an affirmation? Well, a compliment is, I like your hair, I like your car, you have nice eyes. In fact, one of my little girls had to be taught how to take a compliment. When people would say to her, you have beautiful eyes, she would hear it so often that she would say, I know. And we would have to say, well, that's not how you respond to a compliment. You say, thank you very much. A compliment is something that you just say to someone. Flattery is when you say something in order to receive something back. So maybe you say to someone, hey, you look great today. Oh, I look great too. Thank you. That's fantastic. Um, but affirmation is different. Affirmation is when we call out something that we see in someone in order to see it more. And it's not about how they look. It is about the way in which they're bringing glory to the king. When last did we affirm someone or compliment someone the way that Paul has been complimenting or rather affirming the Colossians? When last did you say to someone, wow, I, I'm so uh, proud of the way that you sacrifice for the gospel or your generosity, or your humility or your kindness or your boldness in proclamation? Well, maybe this is an area where we can learn um, as Mercy Commons to affirm those things that are worth affirming. The second thing that's interesting as we look at the introduction here is, is the gospel something that can be learned? Well, we look at verse 6 and it says, Since the day you heard it and understood it, the, the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. But hang on, Nick, don't we say that the good news, the gospel is good news and good news is simply to be believed? Well, it's true. But in order to continue to grow, there's an intentionality with which we need to approach our relationship with God. The gospel is something that takes root in your life, but it's something that grows as we intentionally seek after the one that gifted us with this grace. We are followers of Jesus, not adherents to some set of ideologies and principles. That's why even the term gospel we need to be careful of because when we talk about the gospel we can undermine the intense and present personal call into a relationship with Jesus. We are those who have believed the gospel therefore are followers of Jesus and what happens to us is we become more and more like Jesus through the empowering grace of his spirit. This is not just a conviction of the mind. 
It's an overflow of the heart. It is faith exercised in loving conduct. What I love about Scripture and the Gospel is St. Jerome, um, an old father of our faith, says the Scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come to drink without fear of drowning and deep enough for theologians to swim in without ever touching the bottom. The Gospel is one of those things where a child can grasp it in simplicity and someone that has studied it for 20 to 30 years may never reach the bottom of it. Now, there is effort engaged in our relationship with God. Um, but if we invest that effort without guidance or empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it is basically wasted effort. Gospel growth and fruit is not based on our intellect. It is based on the elasticity of your soul, and that is humility. Paul continues with prayer, knowing that uh, wanting to remind us of what we have received and saying, this is how we can help you in terms of what you need. So what is Paul praying for? In verse 9, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking. Now, I don't want us to miss the obvious thing here. Paul is praying. This is not a synonym for I'm sending you good universe vibes. This is not a synonym for hey, I'm thinking about you. Uh, this is Paul saying, I am engaged in spiritual warfare in prayer on behalf of you and of your family and of this church. And when we think about that, one of the first things that we need to look at is, are we engaging intentionally in prayer on behalf of our brothers and sisters, not only in the context of Mercy Commons, but beyond? This is, what, this is a plug for prayer on Wednesday. We're going to be meeting at the top of the hill, and I want to encourage us to kind of exercise what we're learning today. And be there so that we can engage ourselves with the story of God as he moves on our behalf. So what specifically is Paul praying? In verse 9, he says that I'm asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, knowledge is the gaining of understanding of facts. Sorry, knowledge is the gaining and understanding of facts and processes. Whereas wisdom is the application of those facts and processes in a given situation. Um, so the, the prayer that Paul is saying is, I want you to be able to listen to God because he will be able to give you what you need. Because God is the one of all wisdom and understanding. It's also a play on the word Gnosticism or Gnosis. Gnosis is knowledge of a specific type. Whereas epignosis, the word that Paul uses here, is knowledge of everything. And so what he's saying is that God is the um, creator, sustainer, and the one that will give you knowledge of everything, not just of one specific um, topic. In the way in which we utilize our spiritual gifts, it's the same thing. A word of knowledge is when the Spirit of God speaks to you and gives you information about a certain situation that you otherwise wouldn't have had. But a word of wisdom is the application of knowledge in order to be able to deal with that situation. So, for example, someone might tell you that, that someone is sick or um, needs some money or is unable to pay their rent. That's a, that's a word of knowledge. A word of wisdom is like, how do we help that person practically? The way in which we can know that the will of God is to pursue intimacy with God. We do that through His church, through worship, through communion, through service through His Word given to us in the Bible, through prayer. And it's in those times that He will lead us to where we are able to hear His voice. Now, to know His will sounds terrifying, right? I, I want you to know the will of God. It sounds terrifying and immobilizing. 
But to be clear, when we pursue God, what happens is that his will becomes clearer. As an example, if you say to me, hey, I have a voucher um, and I want you to take Karen skydiving. I'd say to you, you don't know her. Uh, you're definitely not intimately acquainted with her. If you give that to me, that, that means you're intimately acquainted with me. It means that you know me. Um, and so it's not just pursuing the outcome. It is pursuing the person, intimate fellowship with God that enables us to understand what his will is in that specific time. The general purposes of God are pretty clear throughout scripture. He has rescued us. He has brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love. And he wants to display us as examples to a world that needs salvation and redemption. I have a very simple rule when it comes to knowing and understanding the will of God. Um, and this is not to become immobilized. You pursue the general commands of God and then the specific commands of God will be made clearer. One of the rhythms I have is uh, to read a chapter of Proverbs uh, every day because there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. And, and this month I happen to be doing that. Um, and Proverbs 3 was, I think, on Wednesday. And Proverbs 3 verse 4 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And what that means is it, it's such a comforting scripture because... Pursuing God's will is not immobilization until a voice from heaven comes to tell you to do something. It is the humility to adjust what we have already said. Okay, I'm going to proceed. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, in other words, you have already started moving in a direction. Acknowledge Him and allow Him to shift that. The other thing that gives us safety is the specific commands of God will never contradict the general commands of God. So Paul is praying that we would know God and therefore his will and that this is, number two, modeled by the way in which we live. Verse 10, so as we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's why at Mercy Commons we say that we revel, we proclaim, we display and we participate um, in the mercies of God. Jesus said that you would know a tree by its fruit. Fruit is a natural consequence of a healthy tree. Now, fruit is not ethereal. There either is fruit on a tree or there isn't. Um, and, and it's interesting is that fruit in one area is generally not limited to a specific small area. So, for example, if you are a generous person, that means that you probably are not just generous with your money. You're probably generous with your time. You're probably generous with what, the way you think about people. And so fruit is one of those broad things that Paul is saying. What I've, what I've also seen um, with a fruit is that inside a fruit is a seed which contains the potential for multiplication. So fruit represents present nourishment in the sense that you're eating that, that, uh, that fruit and you're being nourished. It represents enjoyment, especially if it's a nice juicy mango. And it also represents the promise of a future because once you're finished with that fruit, you have the seed. You can plant that seed and another tree can grow. So the question is, do we nourish people? Do people enjoy us? And after we've left, is there a seed of the promise of the future that's left with them? That's what, that's what Paul is saying about fruit. What, the other thing he's saying is that the more we bear gospel fruit, the greater our experiential knowledge of God. The greater our experiential knowledge of God, the more we will bear fruit. And so it spirals. 
into a deeper, more intimate relationship with God and a greater efficacy for the gospel and for the kingdom. So if Paul is praying that we would know God and therefore his will, and the way in which we can know that is that we model the gospel by the way in which we live, then what he's saying is in our walk, we may need help in some specific areas. So what is our response to hardship or stalemate? Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light. We cannot do this on our own. We may not even want to do this on our own. That's why we need to be strengthened by him. And in what ways are we strengthened by him? Because we exercise endurance, we exercise patience, and we do this joyfully. Now, endurance is exercised when something difficult is happening. It's like this grinding, it's stamina, perseverance, or fortitude. Now, when I used to do CrossFit, um, they used to call these long workouts chippers. That's what endurance is. That's what you need. Maybe you have a bad boss and you need endurance to be able to deal with that. Don't nod, Grace. And so to be able to hold your battle position without breaking the line is what endurance is about. But patience is slightly different. Patience is when nothing seems to be happening. So endurance is what we need to exercise when there seems to be too much happening. But patience is something that we need to exercise when it seems that nothing is happening. It's the waiting. It's literally to suffer long. That's what that word means. And during this, this time of COVID where everything is upside down, we need both. We need the ability to endure and we also need the ability to be patient. Barclay says in his commentary on Colossians that the idea of patience is the spirit which never loses patience, belief in, and hope for mankind. It never loses patience, belief in, and hope for mankind. We need patience to wait, to trust, and to believe. Remember what we said when we were studying the book of Ruth. God is always active in the shadows. And lastly, in this, Paul is saying with joy. Now, there's a critical differentiation between the Gnostic philosophers and what Paul is encouraging the church at Colossae to do. Now, there were Stoics, which is a sect of Gnosticism. Um, and that's where also the word Stoic comes from. And they were known for endurance. And they were known for patience and they were known for long suffering, but they certainly were not marked by joy. And so this is something that is a uniquely Christian characteristic that we are able to suffer, able to endure, able to be patient with joy. This is a spiritual deposit that this, that the spirit gives us. Um, Mule says that if joy is not rooted in the soil of suffering, then it is shallow. And so it's in the context of suffering and difficulty where we express a joy that doesn't come from us, where people understand, wow, this is not a human thing. I have to confess that I've certainly failed in this area. I feel like I've endured. I feel like I've been patient. Some of you may disagree. But the one thing that I was challenged with this week is, is that I don't know that I've been really joyful in my patience and endurance. It was my birthday on Monday. And so Fallon says to me, so dad, um, what is one of the what is one of the great things about this year? And I said to Fallon, I cannot think of a single good thing about this year. And her little face just dropped. And she was trying to ask a question to engage me and be intimate. And in that moment, I, I realized. And I said to her, no, actually, baby, I can think of a couple of things. One of the things that I that that has kind of soothed my soul is that a year ago, 
uh, we transitioned from Southlands Fullerton and became Mercy Commons. Um, and the sacrifice and investment uh, that all of you have made in the context of Mercy Commons has, has been amazing. I've been able to see people that have sacrificed financially so that others don't go without during this time. And, and what happens is joy, I realized, is achieved through a sense of intentional gratitude. Um, the gift of God's presence and being intentionally grateful is something that has fueled my joy. And so that's what Paul does. What is the focus of our gratitude? Verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father. In other words, being grateful who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us or translated us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Another translation says, translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption and the, sp and the forgiveness of sins. What an amazing thing. There's a specific historical gratitude that we need to recognize here because the Colossian church was a Gentile church, meaning it was not Jewish. Um, and so they were not originally part of God's covenant people. But now because of the atonement of Jesus and because the gospel or the good news of the kingdom is that faith in Jesus gives you access to God because he has paid the penalty for your sin and made the way to the father clear. They're on the same footing as Jews. God has qualified them. Uh, we must understand that we were not neutral. We were under the rulership, authority, and control of the kingdom of darkness. And like the Gentiles, we were excluded with no valid claim. We need to, we, we need to uh, rehearse the gratitude of being taken from darkness to light. That's what Paul reminds us of. We are no longer groping in the darkness, fearful of the unknown, immobilized and insecure. But we've been bathed in the light of God and more than bathed in the light of God, we are now sent out as lights to push back the darkness in our world. We, we were once slaves and now we've been free. We were bound to our sin. We we're bound in our helplessness and our failures and our shame. And we've been brought into freedom so that we can worship God. And not only can we worship God in our freedom, but we ourselves have become emancipators. So not only are we translated from darkness to light, we are light. Not only were we slaves um, and now we are free, we bring other people into freedom. But we were once under condemnation and now we've received the forgiveness of God. Uh, we, we were changed in a moment. We attained to a kingdom that is ruled by the son of his love. That means that we are all children that are deeply loved. This is not just a simple legal transaction. Uh, this is the outcome of love. Because of our sin, we were self-condemned. Um, we had this huge debt that we could not pay, but we've been bought with a price. Our conscience has been cleared. For us, God is not sitting on his judgment seat. For us, God our Father is running down the road to hug his prodigal children. So where might you need to be strengthened according to his glorious might? Maybe it's an area of engaging more intentionally in prayer. Maybe it's eagerly pursuing Jesus and thereby knowing his will. Maybe it's asking the Spirit to help you model the relationship that you have with God by the way in which you live and the choices which were, that you make. Or maybe it's what you need to endure and be patient. Where do you need to be strengthened according to his glorious might? All of this is accomplished in him, by him, through him and for him. And His glory feeds our joy. Is that not something we should revel in? 
Is that not something we should proclaim? Is that not something we should demonstrate by the way in which we live this gospel life? I think it is. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.